whether it's personal, work or social, how you manage your time can often determine your happiness, your contentment, your stress levels and generally your output. It also affects those around you, your spouse, children, work colleagues and your friends. This course will help you to look at ways to reassess and eliminate and even simplify and show you how to delegate some of your tasks that take up your time. Now we often move at a very fast pace and we can sometimes feel inefficient if we're not moving at a fast pace. If we have a full diary, we feel as if we are important and zipping from here to there means that, you know, we've got things going on. Our life is relevant. We don't often factor in downtime. And if we are factoring in downtime, do we feel guilty about it? Do we feel we can only have downtime if nobody else is around? You know, if our work colleagues or our children or our spouse sees us sitting on the sofa with a cup of tea, do we feel guilty about that as if we should be doing something? Are we privately trying to get downtime when no one's watching? This course is going to help you to have a look at some of the practices that are very common, but also unsustainable. Here we can see two images. I'd like you to first of all look at the image on the left, the top left, which is a person attempting to push a huge boulder up a mountain. As you can see, they're at the bottom of the mountain at the moment, but they're hoping to achieve something, I presume, from pushing this boulder up the mountain. But what will happen even if they're able to, even if you are able to push that boulder all the way up a mountain, what will happen? Well, one of two things, really. Either you'll get all the way up there and then you let go and the boulder falls again. Or you'll get up there and because of all the work you've put into this task, you now can't move because it will fall down again. It may be that it also falls and shatters into tiny pieces and then you may feel that that very thing you've been trying to hold together is now broken and in pieces and no longer looks anything like it should. But if you do get to the top, then what? What happens when you get up there? You're still holding the boulder, but what happens? Do you get a sense of achievement? Do you think, well, I need to come down again now? What happens when you get up there? Now have a look at the picture on the right. A firefighter, obviously fighting a fire. We all know that fire is very powerful and all consuming. But this picture I tend to associate with those who are reactive people. They're not proactive. Proactive people tend to avoid the flames in the first place. But reactive people tend to want to put out fires. Now, they don't intentionally do this necessarily, but they tend to respond when there is action required. And so they're given a task and they respond or something goes wrong and they respond by trying to put it right. Reactive people tend to allow other people to dictate to them what's going to happen next or what their role will entail. 
So you'll find a lot of people um, in environments where they are being dictated to. Now, in both of these images, you'll find that there's a sense of coming to the end of a day or the end of a week or even the end of your work in life or your personal life where you feel like you haven't managed to achieve that which you set out to. Most of us don't like the sound of this. And so this course is very much about helping you to assess the way that you function, the way that you operate, and seeing whether any changes can be applied to stop you being that reactive firefighter, or whether it can help you to understand that pushing a huge boulder, now that boulder may represent your in-tray, it may represent your inbox on your email, it may represent your family life where it just never stops. When your children are at a certain age, for example, when there's just so much needed of you, whether you have a spouse who expects you to do it all, whether you have a demanding family, that boulder can represent different things for different people. But as the individual holding the boulder, we can often feel like if we let go, it's all going to fall to pieces or it's going to land right back down at the bottom. And you as the individual need to start again. And that often isn't the case. But we tell ourselves that we don't particularly like it, but we truly believe that if we let go, it will all fall to pieces. So first of all, I'd like to have a look at who you are. As an individual, who are you? Now, your self-perception can often determine your output and what you feel you can achieve. Now, the pictures on the left, we've got Superman at the top and we've got super confident woman at the bottom. She's arrived, she's the life and soul of the party, she gets everything done, many people look to her. Do you see yourself that way? Or do you see yourself as those on the right who are maybe a little bit shy, don't tend to make eye contact, maybe very good at what you do, but you don't necessarily show everybody what you're capable of? Or are you the image on the bottom right whereby you're quite fearful you're scared to be seen, maybe. You're scared of failing. You're worried about taking on projects because you might not be able to complete them or do them to the best of your ability or to the standard that's expected of you. How would you identify yourself with these four images? Are you something completely different to any one of those? The question is, how you see yourself can often affect your output, but also how others treat you. I'd like to ask you whether you feel that you're overcommitted or do you just have a lot of stuff going on? Looking at this list, many of us will have work that we do, friends that we see, family that we're born into or family that we've had ministry, if you're into church or any kind of organization, relationships, either with a spouse or you're dating or, you know, with your friends and family, uh, your children, for example, you may be studying, you may be studying whilst working. 
Um, there's a commitment of going to the gym. Some people, uh, which is very good to go to the gym, but some people go to the gym at five in the morning, for example, because it's the only time they can fit the gym in around their working day or their children or anything else they have going on. And then we have social times and hobbies and things which some will see as optional, but others can sometimes feel quite pressured into being sociable. You know, if you don't go for drinks on Friday after work with the rest of your work colleagues, then you could be seen as somebody who doesn't engage or is it a good part of the team? And so you go, but you may not really want to go or you may be very tired or you prefer to go maybe once every three weeks, but you feel obliged to go every week. You may also have a hobby that you really enjoy doing, but it might be that people are aware of this hobby and so they make demands on you. So you make wonderful handcrafted Christmas cards in December. And of course, everybody knows you make them and they're beautiful and they ask you for them. And it becomes a bit of a burden, really, because really it started off as a nice little thing to do for your family and friends. But now there are demands being made of you because you're so good at it and, and, and people want them. And so you can begin to feel overcommitted when many of us are doing all of these things. And so this can begin to drain you. Also, do you always do what you've always done? So it may be that you're doing some things and continuing on in those things because you've always done them when actually they could change. For example, if you have children, when your children were two or three or four and you would help them with getting dressed, you may help them with making packed lunches, you may help them in the bathroom and they need help all the time. You know, young babies, of course, need all of your time and attention. But when children are beginning to go into, um, you know, that later stage, not not very late, we're talking maybe seven or eight, nine or ten, where they're more than capable of doing all of those things themselves. And yet I hear some parents saying that they are doing all these things for their children. And quite often it's because they've always done them. And so they continue to do them. So I, I have a practice where on a Friday after school, I uh, tell my children, all of you bring your uniforms down so I can get them washed and ready for next week. Now, I've done that for a few years now. Really, my children are more than capable of not only bringing their uniform down to the kitchen, but actually loading up the washing machine and putting it on. But do I ask them to do that? I don't. My husband would tell them to do that, but he's often not around at that time. Now, the reason for doing that is not because I don't want my children to learn and I don't want them to be independent. It's because I've always done it. I don't mind doing it. I know that it's done. I know there won't be a red sock in there to destroy the rest of the clothes that are in the machine. And so I just get on with it. But actually, I'm not really doing myself or them any favours. I'm not it's not to my benefit or their benefit that I continue to do this for them because they're getting older. And I've heard this story from so many parents where we just continue to do what we've always done. The same with the gym. If you're in a practice of getting up early to go to the gym, and that's a very good thing, <laughs> but is there an alternative way that that could happen now? For example, your children are older or they're now going to after school clubs or they're going to Saturday clubs, or your spouse may be able to watch them for you while you go at another time of day so you can get some more sleep. Because when they were younger, 
you would get up and go to the gym to get back in time to wake them up to go to school but now you don't have to because they're more than capable of getting themselves up and getting ready for school could that be adjusted somewhat with your family you've always cooked christmas dinner or had the you know easter or something like that or a particular occasion you've always done that it's always taken place at your house could somebody else host it for this year or would you feel like you were letting everyone down you see there are many ways i mean even with friends for example i remember i would meet with groups of friends to go out and we planned it and we'd know that we were going out and yet when we all came together, suddenly one wants to stop off and pick up something from a store. Another one would want to just, um, uh, you know, can we wait for a while while she applies her makeup? Or, you know, there's lots of different things. And, and I think, well, actually, all of that could have been done before I arrived. Um, and so we could get on with what we need to do. But do we just my point is, do we just go along with everything we've always done? Another thing for us to consider is the impact on our health and our relationships when we are overcommitted. Stress levels are very much an indicator of whether you're doing too much. Now, bear in mind that even if you're not physically doing too much, your mind may be in overdrive. Your mind may be constantly thinking about all of the things you need to get done. Your mind may be constantly thinking about all the things you were supposed to get done but didn't and now will have to do the next day. You may be taking work home because you're not managing to fit it in throughout your day. You may be feeling um, obliged to your spouse or friendships that you, um, you've said that you're going to go out on Thursday evening and you're exhausted, but you've said you're going to go, so you need to go. And so you may be constantly stressing your mind or burning out your body, trying to keep up with the commitments that you've made or that you feel you need to commit to. And so your health can begin to struggle when you're not giving your body the downtime, the rest, the relaxation and this, the mind space that it needs to function well. Not everyone sees themselves as a leader, but actually a lot of us are. I'd even go as far to say that we all are. We all have a level of leadership within us. Leadership is influence, as you'll see on the next slide. But I just want to make a point here. As long as someone is following you, you are leading. It may be your children that are watching and you, may, you don't always see them watching, but you'll often find that when they get older and become parents themselves, they often replicate what they've seen you do when they were a child. It may be your work colleagues who pick up on a way of doing things because they've seen you do it. It may be just somebody, um, you know, you're at a party, you're dancing and someone begins to do the same dance moves that you are. We really do not understand the impact of our, our movements, our thinking when it comes to leadership. It could be absolute strangers that see you. Somebody sees you on a train and you're wearing a certain item and they love it. Some may ask you where you got it from but others will 
go on a mission to find out where they could possibly get that thing, for example, or just the way that you put yourself together, the way that you do your hair. We are always, always leading somebody without realizing it. And we make the mistake of thinking that leadership is dictatorship, telling people what to do. It really isn't. As I said, leadership is influence. It doesn't mean being dictatorial. Do you want people to follow you? Do people already follow you? Are you aware of this? Even if you're not in a leadership position or a managerial position or you're not a director of anything, the fact is you are a leader. If in your workplace, because this course covers all aspects of managing your time, not just in the workplace, but in your personal life as well. But for this, this slide, I want to talk about in your workplace. Now, if you're not a leader, a recognized leader, if you like, with a title like manager or director, um, do you feel that people are watching you? And if you are, what about your team? What about the team that you work with? Whether you're the leader or not, what about the team that you work with? Do you have within your team the right people in the right positions to be able to produce the best results? And what role do you play in helping your team to achieve the best results? What I mean by that is, each of us, each individual person has something within them that they're particularly good at and often something you're not particularly good at. If you put people in the wrong roles, you won't get the best output. So having someone on your front line, your receptionist, someone who greets your clients or your guests as they come in to your environment, who isn't particularly warm, friendly, uh, they aren't particularly excited about their job role, they don't necessarily use the right words, they can often come ac across as rude um, or just in uninterested. Whatever it may be, that may not be the right person for a frontline role. And yet they may be absolutely phenomenal at back office work. There are many people who would happily sit in an office out of sight of anyone without a team around them and happily get on with their work, doing what some of us would see as quite mundane roles, they happily would get on with that. Now, we can often judge other people based on what we would prefer to do or prefer to see or not see, and we can sometimes uh, assume that that person should be doing that thing differently. And you may be right, but it's whether that person has been placed in the right role in the first place to get the best from them. So I'd like to ask you that question. Do you feel that you're in the right role in your place of work to produce the best results? Because if not, it could be very stressful for you. It may be that you can't keep up with the pace that you've been given because you're not in the right role. There are people who thrive on being told 10 different things at a time and this with the same deadline for all of them. They would absolutely thrive in that environment because they like those challenges. And then there are others who feel completely overwhelmed and will literally sit with their head in their hands, feeling very stressed about the fact that they know for sure they can absolutely not meet that deadline. Now, what about your leadership at home 
or amongst friends. Think about your group of friends. Is there one person who naturally takes the lead? Is there someone who frustratingly takes the lead when it isn't required? I think we may all have one of those. But your group of friends, it's very rare that you're all of the same character. And so there will be somebody who naturally begins to lead if nobody else is doing so. There may be those who tend to shy away a bit more. There'll be those who are a bit more extravagant, those who are more, more quiet and reserved. That's fine. That's normal. That tends to be what happens when a group of friends come together. If you have five people who are all exaggerated, um, quite exaggerated, uh, very lively, very loud, likes the attention, you know, they're, they're, they're the, the, the life and soul of the party, you are going to struggle because that means you're all vying for the same attention from the same group of people, i.e. the other people at the party, and that can cause a problem. And so it's something to consider for yourself. How do you lead at home? How do you lead amongst friends? You, I'm not saying you need to lead. I'm asking you to have a look at yourself and decide whether you do lead. Now, as a parent, for example, parents often lead because they are the parent, they're the adult in the situation, they're the decision makers, they're the ones that need to make things happen, they need to get everything together so the child is organised for school or for the club or wherever it is they're going. Quite often, if you're um, a, a female, it can be that you're the hub of the home and without even realising, you're making lots and lots of decisions without even realising, and I mean decisions like the shopping, what's cooking for today, you know, what gets cleaned for today, um, you know, what, what, where we go on that trip because the children are off for the weekend and, you know, where are we going to go? Quite often that can come from the female and the man will lead in maybe a different way, you know, making sure that everything is covered and everything is maybe fixed if they're into DIY or, you know, if they deal with the income, which isn't always the case in every household. But it might be that they make sure that all the bills are paid and the roof is over everybody's head and the car is in a working order. And I'm being quite sort of you know, gender specific here, but I'm just giving you examples. Um, you know, some some males are uh, better at keeping the home, for example, and they like a very tidy home. And so they'll oversee that. And in some relationships, the men will do the ironing while the women do the, the washing or whatever it may be, whatever your situation is, recognize how you lead. And remember that I've said that a leadership is influence. So in your leadership, you will be influencing somebody or a group of people. What is that influence going to look like? Is it positive? Is it negative? Are you a cruel leader who dictates to everybody and makes everyone's life miserable because you're just frustrated that things aren't being done? Or are you the kind of leader that rolls their sleeves up and says, look, guys, we're running behind time. Let's all muck in. We'll get it done. What do you need me to do? Or I'll do this bit and together we'll get it done. Identify your, your level and your um, type of leadership, and that will help you to understand how you manage your time as we move on through this course. Now we're going to look at what could help you to manage your time better. What do you need to assist you with your planning and your time saving? 
let's have a look at some of the tools that you may be able to use and apply to your own lifestyle that might help you. Having the right tools for the job can alleviate, if not, you know, all, if some, if not all of the pressure. And so if you are trying to drill a hole and you don't have a drill or you have the wrong drill bit, it's going to be a bit of a mess. It may not be achievable at all. So having the right tools enables you to do the job. Yeah. And I don't just mean your, your, your nine to five. I mean, your job of parenting or your job of being a good friend or being a good son or daughter to your, your parents or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, one thing I would advise is with some of the things I've listed here, it doesn't need to be a permanent solution. It can often be a temporary solution. But if it is temporary, learn from those who are a professional in their field and then you may feel you need to move on. You may have a certain budget to put towards something for a period of time and then that stops. So let's have a look at some of these. So let's start with your mobile phone. Many of us will use our mobile phone for calls, for messaging, um, you know, maybe a few other things, depending on your lifestyle and your capability. Most of us will have a smartphone. Now, the smartphone is called a smartphone for a reason. It is very smart. Some of us worry about how much how much exposure and information we're putting out there. And that's, you know, if that's you're not very confident or you, you, you don't like the idea of having a lot of information out there, that's absolutely fine. It's very much an individual choice here. But what I would say is for those of us who have mobile phones, smartphones in particular, use them to your advantage. There are millions of apps that will organize your life for you. Now, yes, you have to remember to put the reminder into the particular app or you may need to remember to order shopping or whatever it is you need to do. But what I find is that once I remove the information from my brain and I enter it into my mobile phone, it's one less thing in my brain to think about. And what happens is the capacity in my brain can now reduce in the sense that I don't have as many things on my mind as I did when I first woke up this morning, for example. Now, you can use your mobile phone for so many different things nowadays that you very rarely have to have anything else. So the days of carrying two mobile phones, one for personal, one for work, and remembering to charge both of them, have long gone. There are phones now where you can have two SIM cards in the one phone, one business SIM card, one personal. When the phone rings, it informs you whether it's a business call or a personal call. You also have the facility to hire or rent a business number. And this is what I do. And I have the number comes through, rings through to my mobile, and it tells me you have a business call. Should you choose to take it, please press one. If I'm not able to take it, it will take a message for me. When people ring through to my number, if it's a business call, it will announce you have come through to RNS Consulting, and it will either take a message for me or put it through to my mobile. I find it an incredibly useful tool because I have no desire to carry two mobile phones, but also, it tells me, it sends me a message saying there has been a call for you. It will often record, it will also record the details of any message for me as well and email it through to me. It takes all of the pressure off of me. And that's one thing that I use my mobile 
phone for in addition to its normal use. And so I'm a great fan of Bluetooth. So I have all of my music on my phone. I play it through my car. I play it through a speaker at home. I can listen to it on the go wherever I am. I don't have several appliances that I have to think about. So those are just a couple of examples of how I use my phone in addition to being a tool that I can use just to make calls, receive calls or send messages. Um, I'm a great fan of WhatsApp forums. When I'm working on a particular project that's taking a bit of planning and I'm working with others, I'll create a temporary forum. We can all speak together. I don't have to have five conversations with everybody uh, individually because I've put it on the forum. It's there for everybody to look back on um, and to respond to. I can send examples. I can send imagery, whatever it may be. It's like working in an office, in a meeting room with a group of people without actually being there. It's a great tool and it's alleviated a lot of time for me because I don't have to physically be at meetings all of the time. Let's also look at the home. Do you have a cleaner or are you doing all of your housework yourself? Now, I have to admit, many people when I mention, especially when I do this training live, they cringe at the thought of having a cleaner in their home. Um, those some of those that do will clean before the cleaner comes. <laughs> and it sounds crazy because nobody wants to expose their mess to an outside person coming in. And I, I get that. I understand it. But for a while, my husband and I hired a cleaner because we were busy and we weren't getting to the bits that didn't need doing every day. So we were washing up and we were washing the clothes and we were doing all of that. We weren't getting around to the dusting and all of that, you know, the windows and that kind of thing. And so we hired a cleaner. My husband wasn't overjoyed about the idea. I managed to persuade him and we made sure that her first visit, we were both home. And by the time she'd finished on the ground floor downstairs, we went down and my husband immediately said, when can she come again? Because not only did she do a fantastic job, but she did it in such a way that was different to how we would have done it in the past. And so we learned from her. And that's my point. When she cleaned the shower, the glass in the shower, she did it in such a way that I almost couldn't see the glass. It was spectacular. And I had to ask her, what? are you using? What cloth are you using? What product are you using? And I went out and bought them. And so I learned so much from her. We only had her for a short while because she'd kind of done everything that we weren't getting to. And then she, she got us back to, to zero. And so we could take over from there. But the amazing thing was that I learned so much from her about how to clean. And we all assume we know how to clean. And yet, I was willing to learn a different way that saved me time, that got better results and generally made us both, my husband and I and our children, feel so much better about our home. And we consider ourselves to be tidy people. And yet there's always more to learn. Another one is um, the click and collect facilities that we have now. Um, I can't understand why anybody walks around a supermarket anymore. Now, I remember when I first started doing click and collect, which was many years ago, and um, my, my sister, who is one of those people that likes to shop, she likes to pick up everything and feel it and examine it and, you know, looking before she buys, especially, you know, the, the, the um, fresh produce, your fruits and your vegetables. And she was so dead against it. And yet I just thought you spend three hours every Friday going shopping and then carrying all that into the car and everything. 
Um, it wasn't for her, but it's so much, it made our lives so much better. Um, and I've continued to do it to today. Now, some of you will prefer having your shopping delivered. I struggle with that because my lifestyle means that I can't, the thought of waiting in for somebody to arrive, anything could happen and I'm, I'm out. And so I prefer the control of being able to order it within a time slot and go and pick it up um, along the way when I'm out and about. I do prefer that. But it might be that you prefer to have it actually delivered to your door. Now, give it a go. I would say if you're able, give it a go. Even if you're like my sister who likes to pick her own fruit and veg, what you'll find is that most stores want you they want your business first and foremost they want you to continue to use the facility and so they will often give you the best of the of the you know the, the pick um they're not going to give you rotten vegetables um and so i would encourage you to give it a go a few times and see whether that helps you an au pair my understanding of an au pair was that they were there to help you with your children originally that was my understanding i was told actually no that's not the case they're there to help you as a parent and if that means taking the children to school and picking them up and being there with them until you get home and if or if you choose to have someone who lives in that's fine but they're there to help you and so if you need you have an agreement with them obviously there's certain things they may say i don't do i don't clean ovens and i don't clean the drains but i'm happy to do everything else and that's agreement between you and them. But bear in mind that they are there to help you. And that may mean dealing with the children. It may mean some other bits as well. Always be fair about what you ask them to do. And it could be that you have an arrangement with an au pair that lives in your home, or you may decide to have somebody who doesn't live in, but assists you throughout the day, especially with your children, and then leaves in the evening. There's so many different options out there now, and it may be an answer for you to have somebody that can assist you whilst you assist them, because often au pairs are here to either learn the language or get to know the country, or it might be that they're from the same country as you, but are looking for work, working with children, um, but they don't necessarily want to go down the nannying route, and so they've gone down the au pair route. Look into it. Consider if it's for you. Um, I've put on here stylist as well. I mean, depending on the role that you have, in your workplace or whether you're a freelancer that does lots of presentations and things like that you want to present yourself in the best way you possibly can and there are professionals out there who have the knowledge that you may not have as to what works best for you what look would be best for you whether you're into high-end suits and you know very very tailored or whether you want something more smart casual but works for you because you're in the public eye line or whatever it may be maybe hairstyles it may be you know styles of shoes what 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 height of shoes whatever it may be get some advice even if you don't go to an actual physical stylist it may be that you go online and have a look but you could save yourself some time by letting someone else do the work for you and once you've learned what works best for you, you can carry on with that or you can invest in enough clothing um, and find a good hairstylist who now knows what you like and off you go. I'm not saying have these things as a permanent fix. I'm saying be prepared to learn something new that may eliminate and alleviate the time that you're spending on these things.
I've put on here a car. Many of us drive to work when actually if we took the train, we could work while we travel. Um, or it may be the other way around. It may be that you need a car to be able to save time on traveling, you know, local journeys, for example. Some of the local journeys that you might do may be quicker by car than having to get a bus here and then change to another bus or change onto a train and whatever. You know, whatever works for you, but do consider I'm somebody who likes to be in my car, but there's times when it doesn't really make sense because I have to plan or prepare and I could use that time on the train. Um, and I just love the comfort of my car, but it's not always the best way to go about it. I could waste a good hour or two traveling by car when really a train is a quicker option. And the obvious one also is your laptop, you know, whether it's your, a PC or a laptop or whatever it may be. Again, get it working for you. Get it to do the work for you that you are maybe trying to do yourself. For example, when I design PowerPoints, there is a design facility now within Office 365 that will help you to do that. And so the hours that I would spend doing PowerPoints, it now, as long as I put the information and the imagery onto the slide, it creates uh, a slide for me. And there's so many other facilities on our laptops, on our packages, that will do these things for us, and yet we're still doing them the way we used to. It may be that you need to invest in a course every now and then. Obviously, you're doing this one. Great. Well done to you. But it may be that you invest just to keep up with what's out there, because we're moving so fast nowadays when it comes to technology. Have a look, even on um, YouTube, have a look and see what the latest way of doing something is to save yourself time. Now we're going to have a look at a few methods that will help you towards success for managing your time more effectively. You can see here in the image, I mean, it says the work smarter, not harder. And you may have heard that phrase before. And it is one, if you haven't heard it before, it's one to think through. Because when someone says to work smarter and not harder, what immediately comes to mind is we can be running around getting things done or attempting to get things done and taking up a lot of time and energy, but not actually producing any more work that somebody who is calmly working through what they have to do, but using maybe a different method. So the question is, are you able to change the way that you do things to produce either quicker or better results? Now, obviously, in the image here, you can see that, you know, if someone's been given a task of pushing a huge block, a cube across a room or across a field. It's going to be pretty difficult. And one of them has decided, well, actually, if I use a sphere instead, I'm just going to roll that along. I'll be well ahead of the game. Now, obviously, that's not something we're going to be asked to do. But it does make me think, well, actually, good idea. Who says it has to be a cube? Should we begin to start thinking that way? Does it have to be this? Do I have to do it that way? Am I only doing it that way because it's what I've always done? Now, the very famous saying, which I've already mentioned earlier in this course, is if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. So basically, you keep doing what you're doing, you'll get the same results. Do you want the same results? I presume if you're you know, you pay to do this course that you don't. You'd like to be able to manage your time better. So 
do we need to then consider that the way that we're working or operating or functioning is not the smartest way that we could be doing it? One of the things that comes to mind is I've worked for several clients now who are innovators and they are, you know, they hardly sleep because they just always thinking about something new or a new idea or the next thing they need to do. And those it gives them a buzz and an excitement. And I understand it because I'm very much like that. But what I found with people like that and people like myself is that we often have ideas and we want to be able to communicate those ideas to others. And depending on what position we're in, if we have a PA or a team that's working for us, we will often communicate that thing, that idea, that concept to our team. Now, if we have an efficient team, they run off and start putting things into action or doing research or whatever it is they've been asked to do. And... An hour later, a day later, a week later, we may realize that probably wasn't such a great idea in the first place. Or it's a great idea, but maybe for next year. Um, but we, we sort of speak as we think and we get excited about things and we communicate them. And then someone's doing all the work. I learned very quickly with those clients to absorb the information, have the conversation, think about what they've said and then pause. Just wait. And I would never have to wait very long. They would then come back and say, did you send that email yet? Hold fire, hold fire. Don't go with it yet. I've just thought of something. Now, in the early days, I would have done lots of research or lots of work or put together a beautiful presentation or whatever it might be. And then an enormous amount of frustration would build up within me when they then said, actually, no, let's scrap it. Or let's put that on pause or let's hold off. I'd get frustrated, but actually, I soon learned, not soon enough, but I did learn to just pause, which meant that when they then changed their mind, I hadn't wasted any time. Now, I, word of warning, <laughs> if what they're asking you to do is quite urgent or important, or you may miss a deadline, or you may somewhere, somewhere might sell out tickets, then I suggest you do action it. But I've learned even when booking um, accommodation for people, I often try and book accommodation that has a cancellation policy whereby don't lose any money if we cancel within a certain period of time. Um, especially with accommodation on sites like booking.com, you can have a look at um, hotels and accommodation that are quite happy to hold a space for you until the day before you're due to arrive, which means if anything changes or you find a better uh, accommodation or your talk is cancelled or whatever it might be, You've not lost any money. Um, and so it's a good idea to learn about those things also. So you're covered. You're covered. Your client is covered, etc. Another thing is with regards to um, making notes or typing or if you do minutes, for example, minutes can be incredibly time consuming because, first of all, you have to sit in a meeting and listen to everybody speak and write everything down. And then you need to spend almost as much time typing everything up and display, uh, um, getting it out to everybody. And so is it possible that you could type the meetings in the meeting rather than writing it all down and then typing it afterwards? Are you able to bring in an iPad or a laptop where you can actually type up the minutes as you're sitting in there? If you're somebody who does appraisals, for example, there are some people who prefer to do appraisals by just having a conversation 
and then writing it all up afterwards. But if you're the type of person that makes notes, could you make notes straight onto your laptop? And therefore, you just need to tidy it up and off it goes. There are many, many situations where electronics are now permitted, where previously they wouldn't have been. And sometimes an iPad can work better or a tablet can work better than an actual laptop that creates a bit of a barrier between you and the person that's speaking. Um, having something that's more discreet. Um, there's also apps and tools whereby you can dictate anything that needs to be typed and it will be converted into text for you. So those things, there are some ideas that could save you some time and that could allow you to work smarter and not just hard. Do you show your initiative in your workplace, in your home, with your friends? Do you put your hand up and say, have you considered this alternative? What about we try using maybe a different supplier? You know, have you thought through a different way yourself of doing something that could save time, um, could be of a higher standard, um, maybe that something can be delivered instead of you having to go and collect it. There's different ways of saving time and managing your time, but it may mean you using your initiative to implement that change. It can be easier said than done because sometimes the person that you're employed by isn't very open to change. They like the way they do things. They've always done it that way. They're not particularly going to change. They probably will be left behind in society eventually, um, and you might be left behind with them. And so it's always good to keep an eye on the best way of doing things. Some people struggle, literally struggle with change. And it might be for you to help them through that. You may be the person that struggles with change. Consider why. Ask yourself why change may be frightening for you. Um, do you like to be in a place of comfort where you're just familiar with that thing or that process or the way of doing something? And that works for you. You know, some people just don't like the idea of a dishwasher. They've always washed their dishes by hand and they prefer to do that because they know it's clean and it's done in a certain order and it's not going to get broken or whatever it might be. But have you considered how much time a dishwasher would save you? Do you need to see one functioning? Do you need an example? You know, just to alleviate whatever concern you may have in your mind about how things work. But I do know of people who are so against anything that's kind of more contemporary or modern or kind of has that um, persona of I'll do it for you. They don't like it. Is there a fear of feeling useless, feeling like you're going to be out of a job, you know, whether in the home or in the workplace? Try and use your initiative to look at alternative ways of doing things. And maybe if you are someone who struggles with change, start with something small and see how that feels for you and gradually build up towards change because I can guarantee you change will come. It will happen. Those children that you're very precious about and you like to do things a certain way, they will grow up <laughs> and you'll be left behind in the dark ages. So try and move with them. Try and you know show your initiative and make some changes at a pace that you're comfortable with and then begin to push yourself a little bit more and a little bit more until you're willing to accept a form of change that is maybe not comfortable, but acceptable for you. Don't always wait to be asked. 
in some circumstances, that's the respectful thing to do. Even, for example, if you're going to dinner at your mother-in-law's, it may be that you um, feel that you want to bring some kind of dish along with you, but you feel it may be insulting to do that. She may be offended by that. But there's no harm in saying, would you like us to bring anything along or are you OK? All she can say is yes or no. But if she's quite happy for you to do it, she'd be very happy that you asked, you know. Um, so don't be fearful of asking and don't wait to be asked. Put the suggestion forward where you feel it's appropriate. Now we're going to do an exercise and you'll see that there is a download attached to this uh, this slide um, called diary. Now, the, the whole idea of the diary, and of course, this is optional. You may feel that you don't want to go along with this, but I think it's a great idea and it's worked very, very well in the live courses that I've done. And it's been very eye opening for those who have completed the task. Now. You can either, if you have a good memory and a good recollection of your previous week, your previous seven days, then by all means do this based on your very recent past, i.e. the last seven days. If your memory isn't so good or your life is very interchangeable, no two days are the same, and you might be someone who goes along with, with whatever comes your way, so you don't have a set a uh, time span or a set task that you do at any given time of the day or, or of the week, then you might want to do this exercise based on your week ahead. Now, you will see that it's um, just a simple table. You can put your name at the top just to make it relatable. Um, it's a very simple exercise showing across the top the seven days of the week and down the bottom uh, the hours of the day. Now, I started it at five in the morning and I've ended it at two in the morning, just for those early risers and those that stay awake late. But what I would like you to do is fill in the blocks of time according to what you have done or will be doing at that time. Now, I don't want you to make it up. I do want you to accurately recall your previous week or accurately record your week ahead. Because quite often in our minds, we think, oh, yeah, what I did for those last few hours last Saturday was A, B, C and D. But actually, you might find that you only did A, B and C and D ran into another time slot or it didn't happen at all. And that was the intention, but it didn't actually happen. So I need you to do this task as accurately as possible. Now, you don't need to write in every cell. What you can do is if you're at work and your work is quite generic and you're just at work and busy, say from nine till five, um, then you can fill in that whole time span in maybe one color or just using arrows. However you want to fill out, you might sort of draw lines across to, to blank it out. However you want to fill it out, it's absolutely fine. But the aim of this task is for you to be able to look back over your week and see how your time is being spent. So I do need you to be as accurate as possible. Um, I prefer if you didn't just put ditto marks in, say, you know, that's what I did every day, because you will find it's very rare that any one person does everything exactly the same every day, even every weekday. It may be changeable. And so I'd like you to fill this out and see what it is that you're doing Include everything. 
washing your hair, walking the dog, you know, cooking a meal. You may cook a meal one day that lasts for two days, so you're not cooking again tomorrow. Um, so don't, that's why I mean, don't just make it up. Put in everything, meet, break your work, working day down into sections as well. So don't just put, try not to just put nine to five work. So what did you do at work? Did you spend three hours in a meeting? Did you spend an hour and a half at lunch? Did you spend half an hour at the water cooler having a conversation with a colleague? And that conversation may have been very fruitful. It could have been about work, but I try to be as specific as you can. And then when you've completed this task, I want you to take a look at it and see where there are gaps and see where there is just too much going on, see where there are patterns of, for example, your Mondays, Tuesdays and Wednesdays are frantic with activity. And then by Thursday and Friday, it slows down a bit. Maybe you work part time and you may do different things on your day off. Um, it may be that you're not doing very much at all, which is fantastic. Don't feel guilty about the gaps. Recognize where your gaps are. See whether that what you've actually done, because very rarely will you have a gap and have done absolutely nothing. When I say absolutely nothing, I mean, imagine yourself standing in a spot not moving at all, not thinking about anything at all, not looking at anything at all, just standing in a spot, doing absolutely nothing. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. So when you have a gap, quite often, as I said in the live courses, when I ask people what was happening at that point, and they'll say, I'm not sure. I, can't, I think I was watching TV or I was probably preparing a meal for that. So write it in write it in. If there's a gap there, you were doing something. That something may have been sleeping. It may have been having a nap. It may have been making a cup of tea. Fill it in. If you have to expand and create your own, because I, mean, I appreciate the cells here are very small. If you have to scribble all over the page or scribble on the back, fine. If you have to recreate another one of your own that takes up five pages, that's absolutely fine. The point here is for you to be able to sit back, having completed this form, assess what your life, your individual life looks like on paper and imagine what that looks like to somebody else on paper and find out what it is that you're doing in your gaps. If you have absolutely no gaps, you may need to reassess either the way you've filled in and done the task or whether your life really does reflect the fact that you have not one gap in your week because that would be concerning, okay? Please, as I finish on this slide, do not feel guilty about your gaps. I'm gonna say that again. Do not feel guilty about your gaps. The gaps are important. The gaps are what keep you sane. The gaps are the bits where you may not want to have as many gaps as you have, but the fact that you have them means you could either be filling those gaps with some form of study, learning something new, meeting with some friends, visiting family. You could be doing something for yourself that you absolutely love, like taking a long drive into the countryside, having a picnic, relaxing and lying in the sun. Whatever it may be, please don't feel guilty if you have gaps. That's not a negative. It's very much a positive. But I hope that you find this task um, fulfilling, but eye-opening as well to analyse a week in the life of you. 
Having respect for others is so important, but it's not often held in high regard. For example, if you're somebody who is often late, and I find that people who are often late tend to be late for the same amount of time. So they're always five minutes late or 10 minutes or 30 minutes late for everything or for, for the regular thing for work, for example, or for church or to meet friends or whatever it may be to pick up their children from school. They're always rushing in late. You know, now, of course, everybody is late once or twice or, you know, a few times a month or whatever for things that can't be avoided. But if you have if you are somebody or you know somebody who is always late for the same period of time, that says to me there's a lack of respect for the thing that you're late for. So whether it be your employer and your workplace, whether it be a club that you go to or some kind of um, study or university or evening class or whatever it may be, you don't necessarily hold that thing in very high regard. Because what you're saying is, I'll get there when I get there. When I arrive, I arrive. Um, it is disrespectful to the person who is there to, to lead you or teach you or who, who pays you to be in that space, i.e. an employer. Um, so the message that you're giving them is you, you're just not important enough for me to arrive on time for you. And of course, that will reflect back on yourself. It says that individual, you are unreliable. Now, of course, of course, that will go against you if you're going for promotion or you have a friendship where that person's always left waiting. There'll come a point where they become frustrated with that and they realize that they just don't need it. But ultimately, if I'm meeting with someone and they're always late, um, there have been times when I've called them and said, OK, let's not do this. Let, we'll call it off. I'm not going to wait 30 minutes for you because I'm worth more than that for you to consistently be late for me. Um, I know there's one young man that I know who is late for everything, whether it's work, whatever it may be. He's always late. And I, I questioned him one day and I said, but why are you late all the time? And he said, I have no idea. I said, do you struggle to wake up in the morning? He said, no. I wake up, but then I just sit on my bed and look out the window. I just gaze. I just can't get going. And I said, but what about the fact that you know you, you'll miss your train to be able to get to work? And he just sort of shrugged his shoulders as if to say, well, I'll get the next one. I said, do you feel embarrassed when you go into meetings and the meeting's already started and you've got to go in and apologize? And of course, when the meeting has started, nobody really wants to hear your apology. And so they almost ignore the fact that you've come in late. And this is happening every time. I said, how do you feel? Again, he shrugged his shoulders. And it did make me think, hmm, you have absolutely no regard for the people that you're meeting with. Now, of course, that's not how I want to be portrayed. And I don't think anybody really wants to be portrayed that way. But it may be that there are certain measures that need to be put in place. If you find yourself to be one of those people who are often late for everything, um, or late for a specific thing and you're late for that same period of time. What, what often happens is, like I said, you don't have much regard for it or there's a little bit of um, delusion that comes into it. For example, you know it takes you 20 minutes to get to that place and you leave exactly 20 minutes beforehand. So what you're saying is there will never be traffic or any kind of incident. There'll always be an available parking space for you. 
the lift will always be working. There'll never be a queue at reception to be able to get through the turnstiles to get up to the meeting space that you're going to. Um, that is delusional because actually life is life. Uh, and there will always be something that may hold you up even for 30 seconds or a minute. And so it's always wise to give yourself extra time and you'll find that there is a calmness that comes with being on time or early. Um, you're, you can be very relaxed. You have choices. You have a choice where to sit in the meeting room. You have a choice whether, you know, if you're late for a theatre show, especially, for example, in London's West End, you cannot enter into the auditorium until a break. So you've missed maybe a quarter of the show that you've paid probably quite a bit of money for. It doesn't make any sense. And yet we continue to do these things. And so I would say consider your respect for others and respect for yourself when it comes to being late. And we will touch on this again in the next few slides. So now we're going to do another self-assessment, um, similar, but I'd say probably more simplified than the diary task in that it can be done immediately. Um, and it's something that I don't want you to put too much thought into in the sense that it needs to be spontaneous. Again, there's a download that goes with this slide and it's entitled the same as the slide, Time Management Skills. Now, this one will list for you all of the um, details that you see here on this slide. Um, and But what we're doing is we're rating ourselves. And so you can either rate yourself or you can ask somebody who knows you very, very well. And in this case, it may be personal for you. It may be work related. So you can either do it yourself or you might want to do it twice. Um, once for yourself and then again with someone who knows you very well. But what you're doing is you're, you're rating yourself as to whether you are great or good or fair or actually poor at any one of these tasks. So, for example, if you feel you're someone, when it comes to creating and keeping deadlines, you might not be someone who creates deadlines. You just keep going along. And when it's done, it's done and you move to the next thing, which means you're not somebody who creates deadlines. There are those who will, um, having been given a task or they have a task to do, they have a realistic uh, approach as to how long that task will take. And they give themselves two hours or the end of the day or three months, whatever it may be. And they set that deadline. Now, that's not to say the deadline isn't movable. It depends on what the deadline is for. Um, but if you set yourself a deadline, uh, when I was writing my books, I, I had to set a deadline. Otherwise, it would have just gone on and on. And so what I did is not only did I set a deadline, I booked myself into a hotel each time. I've written two books. And so I set myself a uh, I booked myself into a hotel each time. And um, I knew that if I wasn't at the place where I was finishing, the task of being at the hotel was to read through the whole book again. And then because I self-published those books, I had to read through and do all of my formatting and, and that sort of thing. And I booked myself a weekend in a hotel to complete that task so that when I left that hotel room, my book was ready to go to print. And I booked that hotel in advance. Um, I gave myself a realistic deadline. But if I missed it, I would have lost the money on the hotel. But also, um, I wouldn't have been in a position to go to print at the time that, I, you know, the deadline that I'd set myself. 
And so that kept me going in the times when I thought, oh, I really don't want to sit down and write right now. I knew if I didn't, I would lose a day. And so that was an, that's an example of keeping and creating a deadline for yourself so that your task gets completed and doesn't go into the long grass and get lost. Um, I'm not going to go through every category with you. I think you get the idea. But the idea is to grade yourself and don't think for too long. Read the word, understand it, rate yourself on it. Try not to stay on the fence. The goods and the fair is kind of on the fence. Uh, if you feel you're great at something, then give yourself a great. If you're poor, absolutely poor, and you know it, then say that you're poor and it's fine. Because what you could do is do this task, assess yourself. No one needs to see it. Be very honest with yourself and maybe keep hold of it. Open it in a year's time, six months time. See whether there's been any improvement. Now, a word of warning is nobody can be good at everything. And I grew up hearing improve on your weaknesses. I don't believe that to be true. I believe that we cannot have strengths in every area. So I focus on what I'm good at. And I either employ someone, pay someone, encourage someone to do the things for me that I'm not so good at. Because what would take them an hour would take me a week. Time is valuable. Time is precious. The whole idea of this course is about managing time. So why would I spend two hours washing my car myself when I could go to a car wash and it would be done in 10 minutes? Because time is precious. And if you recognize in yourself that your time is precious, if you had to pay yourself on an hourly basis, you'd probably not do half the things that you do. Because we often waste time doing things that actually should be done by somebody else and then sometimes you need to collaborate you're good at something and you have a friend or a spouse or a work colleague that's good at something else share that task take the bit that you're good at give them the bit you're not so good at and they are good at together as a collaborative effort you can create an amazing piece of work and so don't be so hard on yourself if you're poor at something don't see it as something you need to improve on necessarily because we can't all be good at everything but of course, if you're attempting to improve your time management and you get one of these that's absolutely poor, you may need to consider A, whether you're in the right field, B, whether there is room for improvement without trying to be an expert in that field, and C, whether there's another way, an alternative way. Use your initiative and see if there's an alternative way of bringing on someone, for example, who's great at coordinating events, whereas that's not your strong point. Could you collaborate? Could you work with somebody? Could you teach yourself? Could you learn from, from YouTube or an online course or something to be better at organising events to improve your score on that one? So I think you get the idea. So have a, have a go at completing that task and seeing what you come out with. And as I said, feel free to, if there's someone like a spouse or someone you live alongside, um, maybe even your own children who may be slightly older, get them to do this task as well because then you might be able to see for example as a family where some of your strengths lie you might want to do it within your workplace and see where the strengths lie um, and how you could work to the best ability best of your ability and as a team okay now we're going to look at some symptoms of poor time management now this one's a little bit more difficult because 
I don't think any of us like to hear that we're really not good at something or highlighting our faults, if you like. But it is important to maybe recognize that there is some work to do or just admit. I mean, I've got to a stage in life now where I can hold my hands up and say, I'm just not good at that. And I'm just no longer going to let it bother me. Um, if it affects those around me and it definitely needs to be improved upon, then, of course, I have to attempt to do that. But um, I just can't, I accept that I, I can't be good at everything. Um, and I think sometimes coming to that real, realization alleviates some of the pressure that we put on ourselves. But if you want to, again, download the worksheet that goes with this task and again, similar to the previous one, this one is uh, true sometimes or false. And so, again, try not to sit in the sometimes column on the fence there. Um, you're either good at your punctuality or you're not. If you're saying sometimes, then there is work to do um, because you're either late or you're not. As I said, there are occasions that cause us to be late and it's out of our control. But for example, one of the things that would frustrate me is when I was making my way to an event or some kind of meeting, especially if I was the organizer. And so I, in my mind, I need to be there earlier than anybody else. And there would be an enormous traffic accident on the road. What I now do is I use the facility on my smartphone um, or my Google Maps and it tells me, I didn't realize how much it tells me. Um, as soon as I put my, my postcode or my destination in and I ask it to calculate the, the journey from where I am now to where I'm trying to get to, it will immediately tell me if it's going to be a straightforward journey or whether there are some points along the journey where there's a bit of a buildup of traffic or whether there's an absolute blockage. And then it then gives me alternative routes and tells me how much longer that route will take me. And then as I begin to drive, if that blockage clears up, for example, it will immediately say to me, there's an alternative route that's quicker than this one. Would you like to take it? I mean, it's incredible. I, I mean, I, I, I'm in love with it. And yet for so long, I hadn't used it. I would use the sat nav facility that was embedded in my car. Um, and I've discovered this new way, which will now speak to me, if you like, in advance. And so there's less chance of me, even less chance of me now being late for something because I can check the route way before I leave home. I can check in advance to know how long it's going to take me and add more time on. If it's going to take me 45 minutes, I will give myself an hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes because once I get there, I need to find parking. And once I get parking, I then need to maybe offload my car and make my, make my way up to the room where we're meeting. So I have to allow for all of that. I would much rather arrive early, get set up, be prepared, then relax, then grab a coffee, then make a call, then go for a little stroll and see what's around the building. But I'm there. I've arrived. And so for me, uh, that first one, poor punctuality, is absolutely false for me because I do make the effort. And yet when I was at school, I was one of those people that was always five minutes late every day, every day. And then I would get frustrated because I was the last person to walk into my classroom or my teacher might give me a certain look or might make a comment and I'd get frustrated with her or him. And yet they were more than justified. And so I've, I've grown up now. And so I no longer do that. 
But some of these symptoms you may identify in yourself. If you're always rushing, why are you rushing? If everything's in order, there's absolutely no need to rush from A to B. Are you over committing yourself with tasks? For example, you need to pick the children up, get them to the after school club, pick up the other one, get them to another destination, pick up the first one and get them across town to where the second one is just about to finish. a club. Well, it, you know, I sometimes have to say to my children, no, that won't work. You either both do the same class or someone something has to give. But I'm not going to commit myself to that every week. Or I can collaborate with another parent in one of those classes to say, I'll take yours, you take mine. Great. And I do that now. That's something I do with my oldest child. Um, you know, I, I always pick up his friend with him from school and drop him off home. And his mum picks up my younger ones and it works beautifully. Um, so but I, what I could do is try and, you know, do both. And end up exhausted at the end of the day and of course then irritable and my family are living in misery because I'm not coping I think you get the picture um, yeah impatience if you're being impatient all the time why is that is there a frustration that's lying within you because things aren't being done do you have poorly defined goals now poorly defined goals means that there's something you want to do you're not necessarily putting a date on it it's in the back of your mind. You may be getting frustrated because it's not getting done. It's a year's gone by now and you may have had a conversation with someone else and they've started their thing. Yours is still in the beginning stages because you didn't put a date on it. You didn't define it as a goal. You didn't define what needs to happen to get to that goal. What needs to be put in place? What may need to be set up? Do you need to design a website? Um, and there are so many ways of doing that. You know, now you have templates where you literally can put in your own images and wording and everything. You don't necessarily have to pay somebody now to design a website for you the way that you used to. Um, it can be done very, very cheaply. And there's always somebody, whether it be one of your children or a friend who may be better at you than that. Again, collaborate. Are you a procrastinator? You know a decision needs to be made. But there's a fear in you. There's a doubt. There's a. But what if? You know, are you one of those people who just can't seem to make a decision? Because what often happens is other people will make decisions for you. and You begin to lose control of your life or what happens to you and with you because you just can't make a decision. Do you often provide a poor performance at work, you know, helping with your children's science project? Is it almost embarrassing when they have to carry in their project that you were supposed to help with compared to others who have put lots of work in? Poor performance is an indicator that you're, you're not giving it the time that it requires. When I say the time, yes, the physical time, seconds and minutes and hours, but also the time that's needed to research what needs to be done or to educate yourself on what needs to be done. If you're providing a poor performance, it's likely that that's going to lead to a change, possibly in your employment, a demotion or just not progressing, staying where you are. You may be tied into a contract, but you're not producing the goods. You may be doing just enough that fits your job description. But what your employer may be looking is for someone who's innovative or shows initiative. Um, are you providing that in your workplace? Are you providing a poor performance? you know, at home or 
you know, your children are always having to eat out of a can because you're just not producing the types of dinners that would be nutritional for them. You know, you know, you know, um, depending on your own lifestyle, whether you feel that you're giving a good performance in what you do. Having a lack of energy could be an indicator of so many things. But, uh, you know, a large part of that indication is that you're just not energized by what you do. You don't you don't have a passion for what you do. And so managing your time around the task that you do can often come across as being, you know, there's such a lack of energy because you don't really want to be doing it um, or you're tired. There was a time maybe where you enjoyed it, but you're tired of doing it. I mean, I'm a parent with three children. Um, I run my own business um, and I'm not singing my own praises, but because I absolutely love what I do. No matter how much sleep I've had or what's going on with me, I'm excited to do the next thing. Um, and so there is a, an energy that comes with my work because I absolutely love it. But it meant making some changes, you know, several changes, in fact, before I discovered what it is that I loved to do. And that might be something that you need to pick up on and, and question whether your lack of energy is because you're not infused about what you do. Perfectionism can often be seen as a positive, um, and you may be wondering why it's on a list of poor uh, symptoms of poor time management. But being a perfectionist can often mean that you don't finalize what it is you have to do because you can always find a way to improve upon it. I can be a little bit like that. I am a perfectionist myself, but I've learned that if I give myself enough time to plan, then I have time to make changes if needed. If I only produce a, a talk or a slideshow or something at the very last minute, I haven't got the time to ch make changes because I have to be at the presentation the next day. And so I'm, I'm leaving myself without options. Um, perfectionism can slow you down because you always think it could be better. It could be better. What if, what if, what if? And you'll never get to the final point. You'll never get to a point where you think, yes, that's perfect. It just doesn't happen. There's always room for improvement. And even when you think it's perfect, you may see somebody else's presentation and think, oh, it's just mine's not good enough. I wish I had that. I wish I could do that. Well, great. Learn for next time. But if you give yourself more time, there'll be less frustration around this point eight here um, because you will give yourself some time to improve on what you're doing. But it can't be can't ever be never ending. Number nine, being indecisive. Similar to, be, to procrastination and similar to per, perfectionism, but it really is just not being able to make a decision. So, you know, your your the person you're dating says, uh, "Let's go out on Saturday. Where would you like to go?" Um, I, I don't know. You decide. I don't mind. I, I'm not sure. Um, I, I'm not sure. Now that can come across as very frustrating for those around you, because sometimes people just want to hear a yes or a no, a left or a right. A black or a white, you know, just give me a decision. Um, and what's the worst that could happen if I make a decision and actually I decide later down the line that I prefer a different alternative? Um, I can vocalize that. It, I may not be able to change it, but I could say, well, actually, no, maybe now that we're at the cinema, maybe we could catch that film instead. That looks more interesting. There's no harm in that, even though we left out to, to see 
you know, we left home with a vision to see one particular movie. There's no harm in then suggesting later down the line that actually that one looks better. But what you can't do is stand in the cinema lobby with the cashier in front of you saying, oh, what would you like to see? And at that point, you're now still trying to make a decision. Um, find ways that would help you to decide. Speak yourself through it and see whether that helps you to say, well, actually, no, no, I'm going to go with this one. What's the worst that could happen? Number 10, saying yes to everything. Oh, this is one um, for those people who tend to have very kind hearts or they just want to help. You know, they're, they're people, people, people. You know, if you're a people person um, and you like to help and you like to serve and you want everyone to be happy, um, which is great. It's a great quality to have. The difficult thing is if you constantly say yes to everyone about everything, leaves very little time for yourself. People can sometimes take you for granted. People assume that you'll always be available. And what that leads to is an inner frustration or low self-worth or feeling like people are just using you for what you can give or what you can do. And so sometimes it's important for people to hear either no or not this time. Or if you'd given me more notice, I would have been able to help. It's not cruel to say no. But in saying yes to everything leaves you absolutely no time for you. And then number 11 is doing everything yourself. If you're doing everything yourself, then you are going to run yourself into the ground. And also you're depriving those around you from learning. Sometimes a task is much more enjoyable when it's shared. When I cook together with my husband, it's more enjoyable than when I'm in the kitchen thinking, oh, yet another meal to prepare. And oh, this one doesn't like that. And the other one doesn't like that. And this one prefers that. And it can all get very frustrating and you can feel very unappreciated. And so when you do everything yourself, you can feel like you're living a very lonely existence because if nobody even notices that you're doing it and there's no thank yous coming forward, then you can feel quite isolated with it all. Share your tasks, make it enjoyable, make it fun. When I decide that we're all cleaning the house today, I'll put on some music loud and the kids are cleaning their room and I'm doing bits and pieces and my husband's doing bits and pieces and we try to make it fun because nobody really wants to spend the whole day cleaning their home unless that's something that you enjoy. But if it has to be done, then make it fun. But try not try to get out of that mode of everything has to be done by me. Because the very worst case scenario is that if you were taken out of the equation, even temporarily, you were asked to go on a work trip for a weekend or for two days out of the week. Would your family be able to function? Would they survive or would they be living from pizza boxes with dirty underwear? Or are they able to function without you? This was very real for me at the um, in the pregnancy of my third child. Uh, I was hospitalized twice unexpectedly and my husband had to cope and he did because I made a decision before we even had children. that I would never be that mum who does everything for everyone and leaves my husband pretty much nothing to do. Not because I thought he'd be lazy, but because I felt that he needed to know how to do what needed to be done, even if he did it differently. The way I do it doesn't make it right. It just gets it done. So as long as he gets it done, it's fine. 
and he wasn't hugely apart from being worried about me being in hospital my family home wasn't hugely affected by me not being around they missed me of course they did um but they were still able to dress themselves eat function do everything that needed to be done in the home without me there and so i counted that a great success i found it very complimentary actually that my family was able to function in my absence because I had, for want of a better phrase, I had trained them well. Now we're going to look at a cycle of productivity, which I believe will help you to change your mindset when thinking about managing your time. When we look at the cycle of productivity, as you'll see here on the screen, you can start at any point. One feeds into the other. And so at any point you could start. But I'm going to start for the purposes of this exercise. I'm going to start at the top with the green circle. Mentally organized, which means that your mind is mentally prepared for the task ahead, for the day ahead or for the next few hours or the week, however you prefer to organize. Now, if you, mentally, in your mindset, you feel ready, if you have a speaking engagement and you have rehearsed your speech, you've even recorded it maybe and played it back and assessed how you appear and how you sound, you're more mentally organized for that event than if you hadn't rehearsed at all. In your mind, you know what you're going to wear. You know that the dinner's already cooked, so if you're back late, then everybody can still eat. You know your route. You've checked on your Google Maps to make sure that your route is clear and that you can get there in time. Mentally, you know that everything has been done that needs to be done because in your mind, you're well aware of what you have done to make sure everything runs smoothly. Of course, there may be things that happen, but you're more equipped to deal with them because you're not bogged down in your mind about the other things that you may be worrying about. So you're feeling mentally prepared. Now, I know for myself that when I'm mentally organized, it energizes me. Yeah, we're moving on to the yellow circle. It, it energizes me in such a way that I'm now not dreading what's ahead of me. I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. I prepared for so long. I feel good in what I'm wearing, maybe. I've, I've eaten, and so I'm not, I don't have the shakes. I don't feel lightheaded because I, 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 I'm prepared. And so I feel energized. I feel passionate. I feel excited. I'm looking forward to that thing now, whatever it may be, whether it's just my day, whether it's a particular event. Because I'm energized, I feel physically organized. I feel like I've done all that I need to do to get ready for that task or that day or that event. So physically, I've done all the things that need to be done. And once I've done all of that, I'm now ready. I feel ready. I feel ready for the task, I feel ready for the day. And because I'm ready, I feel mentally organized. I'm ready to do what I need to do. So my mind is prepared. My mind is cleared. My mind is ready. I'm not panicking about what could go wrong because I feel more than able to cope with anything going wrong. Because most things can be dealt with or repaired without your guests knowing. So, for example, if you have um, if you're doing a big dinner, for example, and one part of it goes wrong, 
you may prepare for that. I mean, I'm not asking you to have a, a reserved turkey for Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving. I'm not saying you need to buy two just in case. I'm saying if anything were to go absolutely wrong with the turkey, there are other bits of, and pieces. There's other foods that could be eaten. Now, you may feel like it's a bit of a disaster, but you might find that if you've got friends and family that love you, they're forgiving. And so you have prepared yourself. You've done what needs to be done. I remember attending a wedding and it was quite a high profile wedding as well. There were some guests there that would be known to, to, to you and obviously to myself. Um, it was a beautiful wedding and the, the, the groom was a close friend of mine. And he shared with me later on in the day when all the, you know, the formalities had taken place and he was greeting all of his guests and was working his way around the room. And he said, have you noticed that there's no cake? I said, actually, I hadn't. I hadn't really looked for the cake. We, my, we, tend, to, uh, we tend to attend quite a lot of weddings. And so it wasn't, you know, um, something that I would purposely look out for. I was just enjoying the day and talking with people. And he said, yeah, there's no cake. The caterers dropped it. And I looked horrified. I said, my goodness. And he said, yeah. And he kind of shrugged his shoulders. He said, yeah, it's usually frustrating, but hey, these things happen. Now, what they had done, not knowing the cake would be dropped, but they hadn't decided that they would actually um, distribute the cake that you would normally cut at the wedding. They had cake put aside, like extra layers that had been made that had already been pre-cut and put into beautiful little cake boxes for people to take away. And so their day wasn't ruined, even though, of course, they hadn't even thought, well, our cake might get dropped, so let's have some in the background already. Um, but it was amazing that it didn't ruin their day because they had prepared, you know, the, the cake anyway. And it's things like that that remind me that there is an alternative. There's a way to solve the problem. Um, and so when you feel ready, Mentally and physically, your energy is lifted, you're excited, you're passionate, you're looking forward to what's about to happen and you feel ready. And that cycle continues. And what the point I'm making is don't feel as if in attempting to manage your time that you have to do it all yourself. Share the responsibility, bring in the help when needed doesn't have to be permanent help. Learn from them and move on. Don't feel as if you have to be all things to everybody. Managing your time means looking at the things that have to be done, looking at the things that you desire to be done, and allowing yourself, without any guilt, time to just wind down time to do the things that you enjoy. Not everybody wants to sit on the sofa with a cup of tea. It's not my favourite thing to do. I much rather be doing things that will progress me or that hold my interest or I'm learning something. But I will often sit down and watch a, a series of something, an episode of a series um, whilst I'm winding down. I love watching movies on a laptop with my husband and we'll just wind down. I'm not constantly on the go. Find whatever it is that you enjoy doing and apply that thing into your planning. Now, the last thing I want to dis discuss with you as a form of time management is to factor in your downtime into your diary. If you don't use a diary, um, preferably an electronic diary that will send you 
and mes messages and alerts to what needs to be done next. Factor in downtime into your diary. That's your time. It doesn't have to be the same every week, but it needs to be. And it's important to communicate to those around you that you need it, if, of course, you desire it. But it's important for our health, for our mental health, to have time to ourselves. And if that's just a hot shower or a hot bath, if that's a walk or a jog or a run, if that's gym time, whatever it means to you, you know, sitting down with your favourite food, playing some, you know, relaxing, relaxing music around a dinner table with a candle, whatever downtime means to you. It could be a kickboxing class. You know, we're all different. We like to spend our time in different ways. But you are the only person that can manage your time, especially if you have others dictating your time at other times of the day, for example, in your place of work. You can manage your time in such a way that you get what you need. When you get what you need, you mentally feel <laughs> more able to relax and enjoy and do the things that make you feel energized and passionate without feeling guilty. So you've come to the end of this course. I'd like to thank you for investing in yourself, first and foremost. Um, I hope that in going through this course, you will have some idea of how to manage your time better. Please do download the worksheets and work through them. Um, I think it's a great idea if you are that type of person to fulfill, to fill out these sheets and maybe seal them in an envelope to be opened a year later and see if there's been any changes, especially the diary, um, but also the other two, the poor time management and the time management skills. It's a great idea to be able to look back and see how you may have improved upon something. But I really hope that this has helped you in being able to just look at your own life, see how much authority you have over your own life, but also releasing you from many of the things that you may be doing that's eating up your time when actually it could be either delegated to others or it can be shared with others or it can be alternated with others. Um, but I do hope this course has helped you. Do leave comments on how the course may or may not have helped you, but I really hope it has. And I look forward to maybe sharing some ideas with you in other courses.